0: experience can make a difference. You are listening to KPFA or KPFB Berkeley or KFCF Fresno. It's three o'clock time now for Cover to Cover and Stone's Throw with Jennifer Stone. Please stay tuned. Happy ending, nice and tidy, it's a room. Get your money every Friday. Happy endings are the rule. So divide up those in darkness from the ones who. picture Drop the shadow This is Jennifer Stone with Stone's Throw and today, as I'm sure most of you know, is September the 11th, 2007. And yes, I suppose we should talk about 9/11 2001. Rather than that, I suggest that you go and see a play by George Bernard Shaw called Heartbreak House. I reviewed it for the Thursday spot on the morning show, 8:20 Thursday morning. Um it's uh you know, it's a play all about the leisure class and how uh, the leisure class is asleep and World War I comes along and George Bernard Shaw thought that they ought to wake up. <laughs> and a century later there's a rerun. Anyway, I very much enjoyed that production. Uh, it felt like it was 50 years ago. God bless George Bernard Shaw. He... Uh, it was a bit long-winded, as you know, uh, the, uh, company, the production, the Berkeley Rep, uh, the show was like crystal. It was, uh, uh almost perfect. The costumes just, uh, exquisite in detail. Uh, you know that George Bernard Shaw is famous for his feminism, but he's not always generous to women. He wrote, I doubt if women ever love, oh, they mother a man, you know. He goes on to say how they uh, wrap him uh, in tenderness because, uh, probably out of guilt because they're not quite able to love them. They are uh, uh, just, um, what's the word, patronizing uh man, on the other hand, says George Bernard Shaw, can love. And he goes on about the qualities of altruism. <laughs> I remember it's Shaw's mother who got him a job as a music critic when he first came up to London, but his work is full of mother-son uh, humor. Let's call it humor. I forgive him, of course, because he is so very, very witty, but he is not so kind as Oscar Wilde. Oscar Wilde is another story. His mother was uh, something quite different. Yes, Jenny. Uh I have a book here. It came in the mail today from Oscar Wilde's grandson. God bless his bones. It's called Coffee with Oscar Wilde. Uh, Oscar Wilde's grandson is named Merlin Holland. When Oscar went to jail, uh, his two sons took the name of the maiden name of their mother, which was Holland, Constance Holland. And they have never reverted to the name Wilde. I believe Merlin Holland says that his son, Lucien Holland, may do that. He is the grandson, the only grandson of Oscar Wilde. He was here once. Uh, he had written a book about Oscar, and I interviewed him. It was um, just just plain exciting, because he did seem to me to be a, an incarnation, a reincarnation of Oscar Wilde. He looked just exactly like I imagined Oscar might have in any case uh, I'll write him back and uh, tell him how much I enjoy this little uh, coffee book it is not uh it is not <laughs> yes he himself has said that he he specializes in coffee books he writes a lot about wine this is part of a series oh dear um someone in london has decided to publish a series called coffee with We've got everything from Coffee with the Buddha uh, to Coffee with Michelangelo and Groucho and Hemingway and Marilyn Monroe and Mozart and Plato. I suppose that's clever. There's a foreword to this by Simon Callow. You would recognize him if you saw him on the screen. He's an actor. This is a fun thing. I guess fun books are okay. Uh, actually, I got a, a, let's call it a heavy-duty book, a serious book. In the same mailbag here. It's called The Best American Poetry from let's see, two thousand and seven. Yes, this the current best American poetry. Uh well let's just let's just open it up. Oh look, a good book. What do you know? Uh let's have some fun. Let's see what it says here. Uh Elaine Equi, E. Q. U. I, writes a poem called Etudes. Autumn is a solitude, winter is a fortitude, spring is an altitude, summer is an attitude. Summer is a multitude, autumn is an aptitude, winter is a qualude. spring is a prelude. Spring is a lassitude, summer is a longitude, autumn is a gratitude, winter is an interlude, winter is a beatitude, spring is a platitude, summer is a verisimilitude, autumn is a seminude. <laughs> I always appreciate that sort of thing. I used to, I used to sit under a tree with a felt pen and my little book. There's nothing more luxurious and self-indulgent than just sitting down and doing word play uh, I think I'll spend the rest of my life doing that. Never mind, never mind, uh, the world and politics and the rest of it. One more, just one more from this new collection of poetry and then we get down to business. Here is something funny. It's Leslie, uh, Adrian Miller. (laughs) And she's writing, she's writing something about Leonardo da Vinci. Mm okay uh and yes early anatomists a short history of anatomy mm-hmm. <laughs> she has a little a little quip here at the beginning on leonardo's drawings yes uh the western world's earliest anatomist the paleolithic Bowman well knew where to find the heart of his victim he portrayed it transfixed with arrows on the walls of his shelter there you go the ancients knew what the body was all about. Ah <laughs> uh, Leslie Miller writes Elmer Belt says Leonardo's drawings of the genital tracts somehow failed to find their way with all the rest to the Windsor Castle collection of the Queen. These scrolls and doodles worked their way instead to Weimar's Schlaus Museum. <laughs> the German royals making slightly less to do over maps of genitalia than the Brits. But Elmer doesn't care to reproduce Leonardo's most offensive image. Man and woman joined in coitus, their hips and thighs transparent, so the penis gaining entry can be seen in its entirety, their entrails coiled like vines of acorn squash while his substantial shaft aims for the open mouth of her barracuda uterus. Though she has no bones beside her half a spine, Leonardo has taken care to sketch her lover's open eye, tipped toward the empty space of her missing face, which I imagine must, like Bernini's naughty Saint Teresa, tip backward eyes entirely closed in legal ecstasy as the arrow points where we all know God won't go. But Leonardo's man exudes a proper diffidence, ample bonnet of curls whispering down the elegant swirl of his tail as he throws one high Renaissance leg ...over the mere suggestion of her thigh... ...and aims his animal spirit in. (laughs) Leslie Miller's a lot of fun. She goes on a bit about Leonardo's drawings. I can't resist just a little more of this. She writes about Leonardo's drawings of the wandering uterus. Leonardo believed that semen came down from the brain... ...through a channel in the spine... And that female lactation held its kickoff in the uterus, not as bad as Hippocrates, who thought the womb wandered the ruddy crags of a woman's body wrecking a havoc wherever it lodged, shoving aside more sensible organs like the heart. All manner of moral failings, snits and panics were thus explained the wayward organ floating like Cleopatra's barge down the murky canal of any appendage or tying up at the bog of the throat. (laughs) One can't help but imagine a little halved walnut of a boat like the one in Leonardo's drawing, the curled meat of the fetus tucked inside, harboring near a naughty eye or rebellious ear that never can hear what a man might mean when he says, Yes, or always, it's all still beautifully true, what these good scientists alleged. Their brain is as good a place as any for the manufacture of evanescence. Why not allow that the round and sturdy skiff of the uterus may float and flaunt its special appetite for novelty. Even if we dub it dumb, lined with tentacles many-chambered, and errant as the proverbial knight, seeking out adventure, but loyal to one queen. (laughs) That's from the Kenyan Review. And it's found its way into the best American poetry for 2007. Doubtless available in your bookstore. Uh, guest editor, Heather McHugh. And the Chicago Tribune says it's the best anthology and really lives up to its title. Okay. I'd read you a list of the poets, but it's too long. The world is drowning in poets. I think it's because we are drowning in this malaise. Uh, of course, you all know that... Uh, uh, Today being September the 11th, uh, everyone's talking about the general malaise. I caught Ralph Nader on the Bill Maher Comedy Hour Mm, talking about, uh, (laughs) let's call it, um, the all-time historical low that the Bush administration has reached. He talked a bit about his book. He has a book called Seventeen Traditions. Basically, it's the advice that Ralph Nader got from his mom. And he says that if George Bush had been raised by his mother, little George would have learned some things, you know, like history and linguistics and, most of all, how to listen. I don't remember if any one of those Seventeen Traditions was curiosity. I have noticed the one thing... George Bush demands is the right not to know I got a kick out of the Congressmen uh, this week all morning I've listened to them you know uh, as they examined the military men uh, The right not to know let us seek truth from facts, boys uh All these megalo macho men who insist on right action to carry out wrong choices. Oh, the military guys, they don't do politics. That's none of their business. They say they're not hired to think. (laughs) Do what they're told. Remember Frank Lloyd Wright? He said that 2% of the people think, 8% of the people think they think, 90% wouldn't be caught dead. The only time that I studied military men at close range, um, I found them hopelessly sentimental, romantic. Um, said that they were they were ready to give up their lives for their country as a woman gives up her life in childbirth. Ah, very appealing, all that uh, nonsense. I imagine that male bonding is the secret to the love of the warrior life. I was thrilled when I watched male bonding on the television series Rome. You know, there were uh, two buddies, yes. They were these splendid athletes, terrific fighters. Uh, Yes, thank you for your service over and over. Loyal friends to the death. Somehow, I find that the warrior style is not just meaningless, it's absurd. It's become the great lie, the final lie, the weapons, for one thing. They're simply inhuman to begin with. Uh, you know, uh, in the old days, we had a sword, we had hand-to-hand combat. In the 20th century, war just dissolved. It became nothing but a technological catastrophe, killing mostly non-combatants. There was a fellow in Italy who invented the uh, aerial bombing. He said, well, that would put a stop to war. <laughs> oh, I wonder, maybe he is right. Uh, technological warfare has created ecological uh, nightmares, um, biological meltdowns, the possibility of destroying uh, the earth itself. In the old days, you know, all you could kill was the enemy at hand. Uh, I remember not too long ago, Senator Hillary Clinton made a great fuss about that depleted uranium, you know, all this uh, death that uh, uh, hangs around, you know, waits and then hits later. It began, for me, I I noticed it first with Agent Orange. Uh, Anyway, when Hillary made a fuss, the boys were all uh, upset. They acted as if she were just trying to spoil the fun, you know. Actually, it is happening these days. It's actually occurring. The fun is going out of war. Actually, I I was worried uh, during the early days in Iraq. I noticed that um, the boys were able to pump the music into the tanks. You know, they were able to uh, go to war like it was a movie. Uh, play the record, play the phonograph, play the uh, CD. Pardon me, I am getting old. Uh. I heard them. They picked their their music according to their mood. Uh, I suppose the only thing that will stop wars is what Oscar Wilde told us would stop the war. It's the moment it becomes ridiculous. Uh, Laughter is more to be feared. I think men fear laughter more than death. Uh, Obviously, there are still too many guys capable of enjoying blood and myth and, uh... You know, they think of it as the serious... the serious stuff. Uh, You know, these vengeful dudes, the sadistic crowd, uh, insurgents, soldiers. You remember when Bill Clinton... (laughs) Bill Clinton and Monica got into trouble. Uh, Things slowed down long enough. They got... uh, They got leisurely there when the government slowed down and Bill sent out for pizza. You remember... uh, and uh, even the left-wing was horrified because they thought of it as, uh, you know, not serious, that scandal. I remember even here at KPFA, I heard the words, this is a Monica-free zone, you know. They would not stoop to talking about a sex scandal. I found it very comforting. Anyway, the congressmen are getting down to the facts Uh, They have been asking the military men to tell the truth. Let us seek truth from facts. What a crazy idea. Right in the face of fact-free fascism. Years ago, I remember Senator Ted Kennedy pointed out that Iraq was a turkey shoot and uh, he was ignored or hooted down. Now, all these old silverbacks, uh, these elderly primates in the Congress... They do seem to be willing to acknowledge that they are sending the nation's most naive sons and daughters to a slaughter. That doing the right thing for the wrong reason might just be counterproductive, but thank you for your service. Oh, the echoes, I remember. Oh, so many years ago, Poindexter, yes. Holly North, you remember... Remember the congressman who kept saying, but Poindexter is an honorable man. It's like the play, Julius Caesar, so are they all, all honorable men. Nothing more dangerous than honorable men. We are so slow to learn, but slowly, slowly we may change. It's like the way, you know, the way chattel slavery has become out of fashion. It has given way to economic slavery, you know, kind of progress. No more chains, well, anyway, less chains, less whips, more fear and coercion in war. Now, it's high-tech, you know. Uh, strangely, the high-tech fellows, the, what is it, the American military is being defeated by a return to the old-fashioned guerrilla tactics, you know, like... Um, Yes, like the pre-industrial age. The, uh, those, uh, god-awful IUDs, those, uh, oh, Lord, the, the gang fights, you know. They're still fun, uh, hand-to-hand combat and, uh, handmade bombs. It's so exciting and so earthy. I remember at the end of Heartbreak House... It is the women who get turned on by the bombs. The characters in the play are sitting around listening to the war over in France, you know, and then a bomb gets loose and falls in their own backyard (laughs) and the women say, oh, I hope they will come again tomorrow night. Uh, I wonder, I wonder why, uh, Shaw laid that trip on the women Perhaps he's right. Perhaps women are more excitable. Uh, I guess we are learning that aggression uh, aggression is in every human soul, the inner terrorist. Uh, I find that it's wasted at the top, you may have noticed. Only the weak get off on this stuff. The big daddies, the biggest of the big daddies, the Dick Cheneys and so forth, they just make deals, you know, uh, they could care less they <laughs> yes they do they do their um they do their hunting and shooting uh, with their friends, yes, they like to go on duck hunts, yes, I remember my my father used to do that sort of thing uh that's the old fashioned kind of kind of uh fighting, yes, just go out and shoot something, whack something when when it is done. ...by the poor. It's called terrorism, individual terrorism rather than state terrorism. When the poor uh, fight back, state terrorism is the bomb, uh, the nuclear threat. And uh, it doesn't win hearts and minds. Certainly airstrikes don't. They only increase the resistance of the victims. You remember Vietnam, if the U.S. is the new world order the new Rome, the new Pax Americana, then uh, it looks like we are doomed to spend our resources, you know, making ever better weapons, trying to rule the world. I recently heard some of them say that, you know, the weapons of mass destruction, our weapons of mass destruction, were getting rusty, you know. We had to to make some new ones. We sell the weapons. We are the... uh, what is the word, the profiteers of the death culture. Doesn't look like it can last forever. Let's see, Rome lasted, what, five centuries? Then the Holy Roman Empire, and then the British Empire. I wonder if Pax Americana is going to last, oh, another 50 years, if that. I mean, for Christ's sake, the ancient Romans... They ran an empire from a dozen offices down there in the center of the city. I've seen them. I've seen the uh, the pictures. Our bureaucracy is so bizarre. <laughs> Most of Washington, yes, now privatized, but, yes, the government has been outsourced, but uh, no one even pretends to know what's going on in that machine. Domestically, we seem to have given up. I mean, let's see... We knew, or we do know, that lead is poison. So how did we let it get over uh, uh our borders, you know? How did we get lead in our toys? I've been thinking about that so much lately. Uh The Europeans didn't wait until after the stuff was manufactured. They checked it out beforehand. They don't let that stuff come into their country. Uh, we wait until the... uh Body count goes up. There's no excuse for our neglect of the general welfare. Uh, the ancient Romans, they didn't know about lead poisoning. Uh, it was in their pots and pans and dishes. They say that Caligula went mad from lead poisoning. Sounds right, yes, all those mad emperors. Lately, I wonder what it is that we don't know. What is it that's... Uh, what is it that's in the water? What's poisoning us? Uh, autism and Alzheimer's seem to me to be, uh, what is that? Uh, going off the map. Senile dementia, certainly nothing new, but the scale of the thing, the numbers, people, well, if it's not a biological meltdown now, it will be within, oh, I'd say, By the end of this century, uh, my generation is the last generation uh, that grew up with a healthy immune system. Mid-20th century, uh, that's when we saw this toxic catastrophe begin. I date it from World War II, and now, of course, it's worldwide. They say that Eastern Europe is a uh, toxic waste dump. Uh, Hard to have a healthy child. Hope is perennial as the grass, yes. I'm reading these days, I'm reading all these futuristic fantasies of a world that's coming to us. Uh, uh, It's going to come when we're no longer here to muck it up. Let us hope that the butterflies have more wisdom than we that butterflies have better brains. We know that the birds do. They have dinosaur brains, those birds. Uh, We know that thought is more than just a channel for emotions. Surely the insects know that. Uh, The spiders anesthetize their victims. Can there be a new consciousness? Something, oh, what will it look like? Uh, Something... That doesn't, uh, what is it, doesn't get stuck there with the old reptilian brain stem. So angry. I keep hoping the trees will tell us. The trees are so still, so sane. Trees remain the same, I think, that I shall never see. A poem lovely as a tree. Check out, um, Check out the talk of the town in the New Yorker. For the word on the Bush administration, Uh, Hertzberg is my man. I was going to finish with him today, Hendrik Hertzberg. He has certainly got their number, historically speaking. Uh, (laughs) The awful truth, folks, the awful truth. Be back on the air Thursday morning at 8.20 till then go easy. If you can't go easy, go as easy as you can. Legendary guitarist, Struns and Farah, in concert Saturday, September 15th at 8 p.m. at the Herbst Theater in San Francisco. Experience the dazzling acoustic guitar artistry of Grammy-nominated Strunz and Farah. This is a benefit concert for the Benicia Performing Arts Foundation. For tickets and information, call 415-392-4400 or visit beniciaperformingarts.org. Strunz and Farah. September 15th at the Herbst Theater in San Francisco, 415-392-4400. And you are listening to 94.1 KPFA, KPFB in Berkeley, and KFCF in Fresno. Stay tuned, because up next is free speech radio news.